Hello and welcome to Pod Rocket. Today I'm here with Zach Lloyd, who's the founder and CEO of Warp. How are you, Zach? I'm doing pretty well. Thank you so much for uh, for having me, Ben. Yeah, I mean, I'm really excited about this episode. Um, I was checking out the Warp website and just really cool to see some folks innovating on the age-old developer tool that is the terminal. So maybe you could give us a quick overview about what you're building. Sure. Um, so we're building the kind of reimagined version of the terminal, trying to make it uh, a modern product in the sense that if, if you were to look at what developers do in the terminal and you were to redesign it from first principles, well, you know, still trying to make it basically backwards compatible with today's workflows, what are the different improvements that you would make? And so, you know, for us, that's trying to make a terminal that's more usable. It's trying to make a terminal where uh, it's, you know, harder to make catastrophic mistakes, where it's easier to learn how it works, where it's collaborative and works for teams. And so that's, uh, that's what we're trying to do. Got it. So maybe we could break down those those three kind of pillars you mentioned, the first being usable. So how, how is Warp more, you know, more usable than uh, kind of the typical terminals out there? Yeah, so there's a, there's a few big differences right off the bat with how uh, input and output work in Warp. So if you use a normal terminal uh, on the input side, uh, the sort of text editing experience editing experience doesn't work like it works in any other app that you likely use. So for instance, you can't click and put the cursor someplace. If you select text and hit delete, it doesn't get deleted. It'll delete a character at the end of a line. It doesn't have the normal key bindings for like cut, copy, paste. And then advanced things that people do in their text editors like VS Code, like sort of uh, multi-cursor editing or syntax highlighting. None of that stuff works in a normal terminal. So if you you know, are new to that environment, you start using it, you're kind of right off the bat taking a step backwards in productivity with input. On the output side, in a uh, normal terminal, all of the output is just one big stream of text. So there's no like kind of demarcation about when one command starts and ends. In Warp, we have this concept called blocks where you can take actions on the individual commands that you've run. You can navigate your terminal on a like command by command basis. And this fixes basic things like, hey, I just ran a command and I want to copy the output of that command. I don't have to like, you know, scroll to the perfect spot with my mouse and do that. I can just sort of like, you know, select select a block, hit copy and get the right thing. I can share contents from a block. So those are like the really basic things that we're trying to solve or like the things developers do every day uh, in the terminal and that are not familiar or not ergonomic. Got it. That make, makes a lot of sense. So basically like an, a, a text editing experience like VS Code or Sublime um, that just feels natural and normal to what people are expecting. I, I would agree that like whenever I'm using the terminal, it always like works a little differently than I expect. And even though I've used it a million times, I always have to like adjust my brain to, you know, this is how you select text. This is how you go to the end or the beginning. And um, so I feel like that, that certainly seems clearly useful to just make it easier and more modern. Um, you mentioned pillar number two originally is helping avoid mistakes. So what does that look like? Yeah. So that, that looks like, um, I think it's like, how do you, 
how do you make it so that people enter like the right commands and kind of know what they're doing in the terminal is like one of the big areas and how do you make the terminal configured so it works better for people and so in warp um you know we ship with most configuration we ship with like a set a set of sensible defaults is one thing that you know you get with warp and so for instance completions just come out of the box you don't have to like go and find a third party tool to help you get completions you don't have to make any changes to your rc files and so we help you write the commands and i don't know if that's really about sort of error prevention as much as it is about just like again making the terminal a faster more intuitive tool but it's certainly useful uh we ship with auto suggestions out of the box um we ship with a feature which is really cool where if you don't know how to do something you can look it up using ai through codex and so it's you know it's really about helping people get to the command that they want to get to faster we would like to add some stuff around actual like error prevention um uh, meaning like you know if you're enter about to enter a command can we sort of scan it and give you something like autocorrect being like hey red underline like this is not right or you're about to do something dangerous that you pasted from the internet can we kind of put some guardrails on that like hey don't rm.rf your you know root directory um, or this is like a known, like suspicious thing. Don't don't just execute it. Um, in a collaborative context, what we want to do is let people sort of, you know, uh, get approvals for commands that they're thinking about running. So it's like if you're going to do something semi dangerous in production, can you have someone else on your team sign off on it? So that those are some things that we're we're sort of have either have built or or are planning on building to help uh, you know make it easier to do the right thing in the terminal. Got it. And on the like autocomplete side of things, I think you mentioned AI a bit. There's there's a couple of tools in this space that have tried or are actively applying AI to autocomplete. Like there's GitHub Copilot, which I never actually used, but I always see people on Twitter talking about how how awesome it is. And there's one called Kite that I'm mm-hmm. not sure if, I'm not sure if it's still around or not. But um, do are the techniques you use to do autocomplete similar to what those tools are doing when, I mean, those are more like on the actual writing code side. So kind of a more abstract problem, but um, kind of similar, or is that the right way to think about it? Yeah, for, well, the underlying technology that we use is actually the same as what Copilot uses. So Copilot uses an API from OpenAI called Codex. Um, And so we're actually using that same API we don't we don't capture anyone's data or build our own model or anything like that at the moment. What we've done is kind of made it very easy in the terminal setting to use natural language to figure out how you do a command. And so, you know, it's it's slightly different than Copilot in the sense that Copilot's trying to help you sort of write source code snippets and it's very cool. We are more of the like, how do I tar an archive you know, create a tar archive in my current directory that has a certain name. You can just type that in. And so rather going than going to Stack Overflow and like, you know, having to sift through a bunch of stuff, it actually will suggest right in the terminal, hey, this is, you know, tar dash, whatever it is to run, which is super useful application of that, uh, of that technology. Yeah, certainly. And do you show, do you have documentation for common commands surfaced in 
in line or is that something on the, I, I saw something about documentation on the website. So I wasn't we, sure if that's we like, do have this. So yeah. this is another feature that we have, I think is really cool. It's called workflows. And basically it's like, instead of with completions where you're trying to sort of build up a command one word at a time, or you do like git space and then you hit tab and it gives you a bunch of choices. And then you hit checkout, you choose checkout and then you hit dash dash and you hit space. So rather than building a, uh, command a word at a time. The idea with workflows is that you can search by what you're trying to do. So for, I think an easy example is like, how do I undo my last git commit? And we'll give you the entire command for it. And we'll actually even show you documentation around like, well, what does that command do? If it has parameters, we'll kind of aid you in inputting those parameters. So it's like, we'll show you like, hey, you know, if you're trying to curl something, the URL goes here, the flags for the headers go there, and we'll tell you what each parameter means. And it's meant to be an easy way to save commands to, uh, you can actually save them with a file-based format right now and add new ones. We have a public repo where people are contributing sort of commonly used things on like a tool-by-tool -tool basis. And then eventually what we wanna do is make it so this is a really compelling feature for teams where they're building up libraries of saved commands to use internally. Yeah, I mean, that also makes a lot of sense. Like I know nowadays a lot of teams have like a Google Doc or something with all the common commands and a new engineer is onboarding and they just say, hey, go look at the commands in this Google Doc. Here's how you do X, here's how you do Y. But yeah, bringing that right into the terminal where it's you're actually running the commands and you can have deeper context seems clearly useful. Yep, that, that's exactly the idea. And then you touched on this a bit on the collaborative side of things. Um, you mentioned before, like an idea, I, I don't know if you do this today or uh, it's on the roadmap, you said of like when someone's about to do something dangerous in a, on a team-based setting, maybe you know, you're running a command on prod and it says, hey, this is a dangerous command that's got approval from someone else. Is that kind of the, the, the main idea behind the collaboration or are there other collaborative features on the roadmap as well? There's other stuff too. So, so we don't have that implemented. Um, I think it's, it's like our focus thus far has really been about building a better, a better single user terminal experience. But I do think that that um, sort of, you know, command approval flow is pretty interesting. The other things that I think are really interesting are, you can think of it in terms of asynchronous for synchronous collaboration. So there's uh, a synchronous use a, a synchronous use case, which is like kind of like the Google Docs or Figma use case, where you know it used to be that I could have someone look over my shoulder and sort of tell me how to fix something in my terminal setup when my path isn't set right or I'm missing some random environment variable. We would like to enable that natively, where you can have multiple people in a live terminal session, uh, and the use cases around sort of joint debugging or joint looking at production. Um, so that's one use case that's really powerful that's on our roadmap. The other one is more along the lines of uh, what I was talking about with save commands, which is like, what are the sort of pieces of knowledge or things that you do in the terminal that you could share directly from within the tool? So it could be commands, it could be uh, a richer version of that, which is like a notebook concept where you can put like an entire workflow for like, hey, how do you do a database upgrade? Well, it's these commands and here's the documentation and here's what you should do if this happens or if that happens. And so these are things that we wanna sort of build into the tool as first class modes of collaboration.
Hey, this is Emily, one of the producers for Pod Rocket. I'm so glad you're enjoying this episode. You probably hear this from lots of other podcasts, but we really do appreciate our listeners. Without you, there would be no podcast. And because of that, it would really help if you could follow us on Apple Podcasts so we can continue to bring you conversations with great devs like Evan Yu and Rich Harris. In return, we'll send you some awesome PodRocket stickers. So check out the show notes on this episode and follow the link to claim your stickers as a small thanks for following us on Apple Podcasts. All right, back to the show. Pivoting a bit, um, curious to understand more on like the business model side of things. And first question is, is Warp open source or any plans to, to be open source or how are you thinking about that decision? So Warp's not currently open source. We have a few open source repos that are like extension points into Warp. So that's like where you can submit themes or workflows. I I would say it's very likely, but not definite, that the core client app will also be open source. I think it's to our benefit to do that from a, you know, adoption standpoint, from a visibility so people can audit that we aren't making any mistakes with privacy or security. Um, it's kind of a one-way sort of valve. So once you do it, it's done. And we want to be pretty deliberate in choosing the license and the timing and making sure that the code base is in a good spot before we do it. But I, I think it's quite likely that we will uh, open source the client. I don't know the exact timing that we will do it. Yeah, I mean, that, that makes sense. It does kind of feel like it's a good fit for an open core model where you have like the basic client is open source for the exact reasons you mentioned. And then I'd guess maybe the collaboration or some of the other features maybe closed source and that's where you monetize long-term. That's exactly the plan. Like, I think it's unlikely that the, the server components would be open source, but there would be an, uh, you know, an API defined. So if anyone else wants to implement them, it's possible. Um, but yeah, the, the business, that we want to build is around monetizing collaboration. It's around monetizing things that have like a marginal cost in the cloud and that are differentiated things that terminals don't do today. And I think that that's very compatible with a model where the client code is open source. And on the, on the subject of the server side of things, I mean, terminal, I don't know of any other terminal that has any server component, right? Like there, it's kind of the quintessential local application. So, you know, when you launch on Hacker News, there was some, some maybe we can call it healthy skepticism about the fact that there, there is a server component and some amount of data is exchanged between client and server. So what data do you collect from the client side? Like what data is getting sent to the server? And how do you kind of think about uh, security, privacy, et cetera? Yes, uh, there was a healthy amount. You can call it skepticism or critical feedback. It was it made complete sense. Um, the I guess first let me say what we don't send is we don't send anything you type in the terminal, and we don't send anything that the terminal outputs when you run a command. Just like full stop. There's no recording of what you're doing in a terminal session. The only exception to that is if you explicitly use our feature where you want to share a thing you did, which is our block sharing feature, and you have to go click create permalink. And in that case, we store it because we are basically saying we're going to serve that on a web endpoint. So that's that's what we don't store. What we do store right now, and our, 
again, I would say quite likely to make optional is telemetry, meaning like how is a person using the app? Like for instance, are they using split panes? Are they using our command palette? Are they uh, you know, using random features? And so the reason for this is we want some feedback in terms of what are the things that we're building actually valuable to users? Um, and so that's like, you know, I, I think we'll, we've gotten enough feedback and I think it's reasonable feedback that will make this um, optional, but it is super useful to us as a early stage startup to know if we're building the right things. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, I imagine another advantage of eventually if you open source the client is like, then it is very obvious to folks what you're collecting, what you're not collecting, and there's there's no ambiguity 100%. at that point. Like we we publish right now, even on our privacy page, a complete list of all of the telemetry events. Um, but there's, you know, we're an early stage startup, and so it's it's a big ask for people to trust us. And I am understanding of the uh, skepticism if you can't see the code and it's a company that's new. Um, and so I think we have to do more to earn the trust of of our users, and that's something that's top of mind. Um, but we we the feedback made total sense, and it's something that we're uh, we're figuring out how to address. So one of the things that is kind of cool, or I think a lot of people appreciate about the traditional terminals, and especially the popular ones like iTerm is that they're pretty extensible. I mean, you can use Bash or ZSH or there's a few different um, interfaces and then you can customize colors. And I mean, it's, the sky's the limit in terms of how people customize their, their terminals nowadays. Is there a future or in the present, you know, can you customize Warp to some extent or maybe down the road, would that be something where you have a plug-in ecosystem or, or a configuration language or something like that that people can use to, to really tailor the experience to their needs? For sure. So today, Warp Warp also supports Bash, CSH, and Fish. So you can use you can use your own shell. You don't like we thought about building a shell, and maybe one day we will because I I actually think there would be value in like a deeper integration further down towards the OS level. But for compatibility reasons, we made it so people can use their own shell today, and then we have I would say decent configurability for where the product is at right now. So you can uh, you can make your own themes. And so there's like a YAML format for that. Uh, so you can, you can do a pretty good job of customizing the look and feel of the terminal. You can, um, you can make your own key bindings and keyboard shortcuts. There's also a data format that underlies that. Um, there's a, like I said, this, there's a workflows data format, but relative to something like iTerm, um, which has just been around a lot longer. We don't have all of the sort of knobs for configuration yet. So that's the configuration piece. My general product philosophy on this is that the terminal needs to actually out of the box uh, require less configuration to be useful. It's, it's not that it's too configurable. It's that the defaults that it ships with are too underpowered and unintuitive. And so we're trying to ship it with you know, less configuration required and a more out of the box batteries included experience. But we also want to allow developers to configure it because it's such a core tool in their workflow. And like every developer works a little bit differently 
and should be able to like tweak it to their liking. So that that's that's the configuration side. On the extensibility side, I think there's a huge opportunity to build something um, that is more of a platform for the command line than just a product. I think we need to have, you know, a set of API extension points that developers can build into to sort of, you know, make it really easy to find the right completions you need or the right workflows you need for whatever tools you're using. And so that's something that we really want to sort of lean into. Again, in our product lifecycle, we're, we're pretty early on this, but I think, um, you know, the way it works today with people just finding like a GitHub repo that has like a cool terminal enhancement and then they kind of curl it through bash leads to like a messy configuration system. It's not very discoverable what's out there to make your terminal better. And so I think we can, we can build something that's much better than that. So on your website, um, you kind of, I guess, proudly proclaim that there's no electron or web tech involved in, in implementing warp. Um, and I, I imagine probably that it has to do with performance. I mean, it's no secret that uh, Electron isn't, isn't the most performant platform. And you, it seems like you use Rust and you're fully native app built with Rust. So I'm curious, like, in addition to performance, like, were there other reasons why you went with Rust and, and kind of more specifically, like, what stack you're using alongside Rust? Sure. So it, it was primarily motivated by performance. We actually tested a, uh, like an early version of Warp was written in Electron and, and it didn't perform well. Um, the reasons that we, we chose Rust, so definitely performance was a big part of it. A second part of it was pretty good cross-platform support. So we, I would say 90% of our code base is platform agnostic and we will use it to compile Warp for Linux, for Windows, and hopefully also for the web using WebAssembly. Um, the rest of our stack on the client is, so it's, it's Rust and then it's a GPU accelerated terminal. So we actually do sort of the full stack of rendering, meaning like we have our own UI framework that we wrote in Rust. And then we actually have our own shader code and sort of every pixel on the screen is kind of within our code base. There's like pros and cons to, to doing that. The, the, the pros are that we have sort of complete control over the rendering and can optimize all parts and don't have any sort of big dependencies. The cons are that, you know, it's it's more work. We get less for free. And consequently, it's like some things that you would just like like to not have to worry about as a developer, you have to worry about in Warp. Um, but overall, I think I think it was the right trade-off for the application that we're building. And you mentioned eventually maybe being able to target web as, as a platform to run warp in. So would that be like, or, or maybe you tell me like, what, what would the context be in which you'd want to have warp running in a browser? Yeah. So I think there's a couple compelling contexts. One is if you are, um, if you're kind of using warp against a remote machine and so there's like a cloud shell use case. So if you look at like, Google Cloud or AWS or Azure, they all have uh, this nice thing in their consoles where you can pull up a terminal against, you know, a machine that's running Docker and running a server and you can debug against it. The the It would be nice to be able to use Warp for that case because those cloud shells, which are like xterm.js, 
are they don't have your configuration. They don't have any of the nice input output features of Warp. And so I think having like a richer terminal interface is just as compelling there as it is if you're using it for local development. The second use case that I think is really cool is collaboration. And so, you know, if you if you want people to be able to sort of join a session, I think it's nicer to be able to share that session by link and have them pull it up in a web browser than it is having to do like a full download of a native app. So I think for the the sharing use case, if you want to like be able to check warp on your phone, every all of those things are super nice to have a web rendering. So taking a step back from the product, um, I'm curious about your background and what led you to to want to go and start start this company. Yeah, so good question. So my my background, uh, I've been a developer now for I don't know, like. 17, 18, maybe 20 years, depending on when you you count the start of it. Probably the most uh, significant thing I've done was I, I was a principal engineer at Google. I, uh, I helped build and manage and run the Google Sheets team. So I, I built a lot of that product. And then when I left Google, I was a, a principal engineer. Uh, you know, I was like the tech lead for the Google Docs suite. And so my strongest like technical background is it actually is is in building these kind of collaborative productivity apps and so one of the things that led me to start warp was just like i feel really comfortable building this kind of app i've seen the value that adding collaboration on top of a traditionally desktop app can build and you get like value in ways that you don't even really expect um i've kind of built apps that involve like the processing of a lot of text and so there's actual technical lessons from doing Google Docs that are applicable to Warp. You know, in fact, one of the reasons we're doing it native is because we could never really get the performance in a browser for something like Google Sheets on par with Excel, and it drove me nuts. Um, and so, yeah, that, like like those things all led me sort of towards doing this. I've also, you know, been a startup founder. I left Google a, a, a while ago, and so I've, I've I did another company that was in a totally different space, but a lot of the lessons of starting a company are things that are transferable. And so, um, you know, I've tried to be really sort of uh, intentional about how we build the team and the culture and use the lessons from my last startup. And so, you know, all those things make me feel really excited about what what we're building. Could you highlight like one or two of those key lessons, both on the technical side, things you learned building Google Sheets and Google Docs, and then after that, maybe on the startup building side? For sure. So on the technical side, so, you know, if you're building something like Google Sheets, the big challenge from a performance standpoint is how do you, um, how do you handle like lots of data, like big sheets? Um, and what that comes down to is a lot of like being very sort of careful in terms of how you control the memory layout. Uh, you know, it, it actually, if you, if you're not smart about how you make a big spreadsheet, you're going to have like gigs and gigs of, of, uh, you know, sort of Ram and in the browser context, you're just fundamentally limited in terms of how much control you have. Uh, JavaScript doesn't really let you sort of control what size your cells are. It doesn't really let you control garbage collection, which can end up being quite slow. Um, 
it uh because you know it's you're kind of counting on like the the just in time compilation of something like v8 which is which is good but not as good as native and i i felt like we ended up spending a tremendous amount of cycles on performance work where had we had deeper control over the platform uh we wouldn't have had to spend that much time and we would have also been able to get to a faster product so uh you know that was from a, a technical standpoint one of the big lessons of like google sheets google docs was like start with a faster platform now you can still write slow code in rust like if you write an algorithm that's n squared or do something silly it's like it's any platform you can write something slow in but you don't pay an upfront penalty for writing in rust in the same way that you do writing for the web that makes sense and then for the yeah. for the for the startup lessons i i would say the things that um you know, have been, uh, you know, my my biggest, me personally changes in, in terms of how I'm approaching Warp as a startup rather than the, my prior startup is just like how much uh, sort of work upfront we're putting into defining the kind of culture that we want. And so for us, that's like a culture of transparency. It's a culture of pragmatism. It's a culture of hiring people who are very product and user focused um of really trying to be intentional with with who comes onto the team are they really interested in solving the problem it's it's trying not to grow too quickly before we've like actually got the base thing working correctly and so these are these are all things i just wouldn't have known had i not started a company uh previously and it's i think you know it's it's helped us to get to like a team that's relatively small but extremely high quality where I, I like love working with all the people. And so, um, you know, the, that's been a, a really good lesson from doing a startup once. So to, to close things out, um, you know, I'm curious to learn a bit more about what you see as the long-term roadmap. We, we already spoke um, about a number of the like short-term things that you're going to build. And we talked about the future of the business model, but just like five, 10 years, what is the future of just the terminal overall and how does warp fit into that yeah so the the long-term vision and the reason i think this is a really cool thing to work on and a cool opportunity is that the terminal is one it's ex it's extremely widely used so it's a tool that almost every developer uses every day whether they want to or not and it's a really low level tool in the sense of like a lot of different development activities flow through it whether it's building, running, debugging code, or interacting with cloud systems, or interacting with different APIs from other developer companies. And so I think if you could meaningfully improve it, it's a huge point of leverage for helping developers get more done. And so that's like big, big picture of what we want to do is build something that's like, I don't know, even if it's just like 20% more efficient for every developer, that's a tremendous amount of like, savings of developer time and developer productivity for the world at large and for you know pretty much every business hires developers and so that i i would be very happy with that as a base outcome i also think that there's stuff that's like adjacent to the the terminal where we eventually could sort of start to, to play and expand um the mission of the company is to elevate developer productivity it's not just like to build the best possible terminal 
And so things I think we could eventually sort of experiment with are code editing. You know, a lot of developers still use Terminal as their code editor. Uh, I think we could get into like, how do you make uh, like remote development easier? So you're not developing on your local machine. I think we could get into like, how do you make uh, sort of building internal apps easier? Like if you think about it, CLIs, a lot of them would be useful beyond someone's just local machine. And so, you know, those are areas that I think we will start to explore. But for now, the focus is on just like, let's just make this tool as good as it possibly can be so developers can get more done. Awesome. Well, Zach, it's been a pleasure having you on and um, really enjoyed learning about Warp and hearing about your perspective on the future. For anyone out there who's interested in learning more, the website is warp.dev. Um, is, is that what you'd recommend for someone who wants to check it out or any other resources that you'd want to point people towards? So warp.dev is great. If uh, One plug I'll make is that we're we are hiring. And if you're someone who's interested in uh, developer tools and building great products, we'd love to talk to you. Um, the website's the best place to start. You can, you can download the product and play with it if you have a Mac. We've also you know, documented a lot of our culture and how we work if you're interested in checking that out. Great. Well, thanks again, Zach. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to PodRocket. You can find us at PodRocketPod on Twitter. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks.